How's everybody doing? Yeah. Oh, man, if you got your Bible, turn me to Acts chapter 27. We are in the He Is series, and we are obviously talking about the storm today, and that He is the eye of the storm. And if you know anything about uh, the difference in barometric pressure and some of the stuff that happens in the eye of the storm, it will start to make sense for you. It's kind of an illustrative thing as we talk about who Jesus is. This whole series has been really about who He is, the attributes of Jesus, but really what that means for us as followers of Jesus and what that might mean for you if uh, you're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying to figure out who, you know, is, is there something else? Is there something more? We believe that uh, it's Jesus. He is the author uh, and perfecter of our faith. He's the creator of everything. So he's kind of the center of, of what we're talking about. I did want to pick up where Dave was talking about Oasis. I was here at Oasis, and I know I'm not a lady. I cheated. Um, I was on the production team, and it was, I just want to honor the lady. They did an amazing job. Like, I, not that we shouldn't, you know, as a church our size, shouldn't pull off really good events, and, you know, we should be, oh, well, that's, that's good. Y'all did a nice job, you know, small church. It was unbelievable. Um, the worship was unbelievable. The, from the hosting, um, uh, Leslie Walsh just did an incredible job just bringing everybody in from top to bottom. Our mission statement is to invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace, and they just created like the ocean of grace and then just said, all right, come on in. We're neck deep in it already. Come on in. And they did that through the, from, the, from top to bottom. It was that way. And for, for the guys, I just want to say the whole thing was, I don't know if this is surprising to you that a women's gathering, the whole thing was about crying. Um, and I thought it was awesome. And, and just some statistics for you, just because I thought they were awesome, is women cry about four to six times a month, uh, which my wife said is conservative, but I said, babe, you're married to me, so that's you know, probably why that's a conservative figure for you. you cry a lot in my house. Um, but men, uh, four to six times a month, men, 0.5. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense to any of y'all, but we need to cry. My favorite, <laughs> I know that's, gen- that's true, that's generous. Some guys like, I, have I ever cried? Ever? Um, <laughs> the funniest thing in the whole thing, and I don't know if it tickled anybody else that was in the room, ladies, but that there was a guy in Japan, because the Japanese apparently have a problem getting emotional and crying, and crying is really good for you. Like, it's physically good for human beings. He just said, saw, saw the marketplace and said, we're going to open a crying shop. I don't know if, what that does for you, but I just mentally, when I started thinking about that, my brain is like, wants to know all the details. Like, what's in the shop? Like, you know, where is the shop? And are there more than, you know, is, how many people do we let in the shop at one time? And what are they doing in there? It's just like, here's a picture of a puppy or, a, you know, I don't know. It's just, there's a crying shop. It's amazing. Anyway, it was an incredible night. Um, I laughed and, and cried, and not just because my wife spoke, but it was it was incredible. And I promise, guys, Tribe will not be about crying. Um, but when you think about, when I was thinking about what, what she's saying, and Dave even mentioned the passage in Isaiah 61, I really think there is this exchange, but there's something that happens. I, obviously, today is about storms. And I, and I really believe that, you know, in life, it, that hits everybody in the room. I, you know, you might be traveling in a, in a long season where things are good, but you're either in one of three places. You're either headed, and this is not to depress anybody, you're either headed into a storm, and don't we get, well, let's, let's just stop. We get the illustration, like biblically and in life, we get what storms are. Like, I mean, that could be, uh, you know, a million different things, but we understand what it means when trouble comes and things are just not the way that they should be. And because of sin, because of brokenness, because of a lot of things, things aren't as they should be. So we're all of us, we're either headed into a storm, we're in the storm, 
or we're, by God's grace, we're headed out of the storm. So I think we, we all understand what that means. But today, I, I, I really, and this is a question for me, um, because like Dave, and I think many of the people who were in pre-service prayer, uh, the last couple of years have been very stormy, even outside of just the viral pandemic. But I think personally, that's just been one of those things where we've traveled through a lot of stuff. And the question that I, I always want answered when I'm, when I'm praying and crying out to God is, like, I, if, the, if that's true, if I'm always headed into the storm, in the storm, or coming out of the storm, how, how do I survive the storm? Like, how do I gain a perspective in the storm that's different from everybody else? Because that's what we need. And I, it, made me, it made me think how many memes there are of Floridians and hurricanes and I don't know why Floridians get made fun of. I mean, it is one of the, I don't know if it happened with the hanging chad back in the election or when, when all that started. But people, we are the butt of many jokes. But I think Floridians are awesome. Do you, hey, come on, let's go. Let's give it up for Florida. But one thing that we do know how to do is weather the storm when it comes to an actual storm, when it comes to hurricanes. We have a different perspective. You know, when you look at anybody else, when they, if they're in, if they're here visiting from Disney World and they see the, the cone of uncertainty, which for normal people, that is frightening. Like you just see the big swath of, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen. And everybody's locked on the weather channel. They're like, why are they not boarding up here in Florida? I think they might should board up. But this is a meme of what, how we operate. You know what I'm saying? That is Floridians. You know, we just... You better, you better ramp up the storm, you know. Irma, you better kick it up a couple notches because I'm not getting out of the beach chair yet. you got to admit, if you live at the beach, have you ever looked down the beach and you see the blackest black of all time and it is like, and nobody moves. Like, everybody just sits there until it's like a squall, you know. It's like, beach people, I love it. But that's, that's a different perspective. And when I saw that, as funny as that is, I'm thinking the Christian life, the way, the, the way that God would want us to be marked is not that we're better than anybody else. It's not that we are above anybody else like we talked last week. It's that as we go through these storms, that our perspective might be a little bit different. That we see things that, hey, I can see the black clouds. I can see the mountain in front of me. I, this isn't rainbows and lollipops and I'm ignoring the storm. It's that my eyesight and what I know about the God that's carrying me through the storm is different. And that people outside of Christianity would, would, would see me and say, hey, he's no different than I am. I know that he's in pain. I know that he's walking through cancer. I know that he's walking through divorce. I know that he's walking through these things. But the way that he's walking is different than me. And that they might wake up and see that you're anchored to hope. It's not that they're any better than you are. It's not that we've done anything different. It's that God's done something in our spiritual maturity. God's done something because of who He is and, and how He operates. And what He does in the storm with us. And what He Himself does in every storm. He's the way maker as we talked about today or we sang today. He's the wonder working God. He's the miracle working God. So how do we change? Storms are inevitable. And nobody likes to walk through storms, but how do we change our eyesight? How do we change the lens and the perspective of walking through storms? And I, I just told my wife this morning, she's like, what's your, you know, what's your big point about today? And, and that's kind of it. And to be honest, I began the beginning of this week feeling this. Like, I want the answers to these questions. These aren't some that I'm like, yeah, as a pastor, I just know instantaneously the answers to the questions before I'm preaching about them. I was digging through Scripture 
I was digging through, you know, physical storms because there's tons of them in Scripture. There's, you know, Jesus, you know, calming the storm. There's Jesus walking on water in the middle of the storm. There's Paul, you know, in, in the storm. There's storms in the Old Testament. We read, we talked about one even in pre-service prayer, Psalm 77. Just how God operates and changes things in the midst of the storm. And so I want to answer three questions because I needed these answered. I don't know where you are, but like I said, everybody's either headed into the storm, they're in the storm, or they are, by God's grace, headed out of the storm. So the first one is, and this is kind of a, a pickup where we left off. If you didn't listen to last week talking about God's sovereignty, that he is sovereign and he is good, this kind of narrows the funnel and gets a little bit more personal about how do we really deal with God's sovereignty in the storm? So why do storms exist? Is it sin, like sin and brokenness on planet Earth, or is it sovereignty? <laughs> That's a question I want to know the answer to, Right? Why do storms exist? Is God the author of the chaos or is it sin and brokenness? And what is it that, how can I reconcile that? Because for me to follow someone into the storm or try to find them in the storm so that they can hold me up, him being Jesus, then I want to know exactly how this whole thing went down. Who can I blame? That's what I want to know. Um, what is the purpose uh, of storms? Like, if God is sovereign, if that's, if that's the answer to that question, then what, what would be the purpose of storms? And then the most important, I think, is how do I weather the storm? How do I change my lens? Because I want that. I mean, I've been through it in life, you know, old enough to have been through it. And I've said this many times. You're, if you haven't been through it yet, you are in the first category. You know, and that's just in one of those things. Welcome to Sunday, right? You're headed into a storm. And that is just where we live on planet Earth. It is one of those things, and not that I didn't know that that was true, but after, you know, pastoring, you know, 16, 18 years now, I just, it's like, that is, it, people are navigating storms. People walk in, people smile a lot in church, people shake hands and say, hey, brother, how are you doing? But there is a whole lot of people that have weight on their shoulders that wasn't intended for them, but because of where we are on planet Earth and because of just life, we call it life, you're in a storm. So let's hit the first one. And if you, like I said, turn to Acts 27. This is an amazing passage where the Apostle Paul is navigating. I mean, this is a whopper of a storm. So why do storms exist, sin or sovereignty? Is it the brokenness of the world or is God the author of that storm? And so in Acts 27, just to give you a little context, the Apostle Paul, we're getting near the, the end of the book of Acts. So the Apostle Paul's uh, traveled. He's been on many missionary journeys. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. So he's speaking in first person. So he owned a boat with Paul. So he's got some eyesight to see. You see detail in the story. In fact, he says, hey, things start happening. This is the day. I, I had to look this up because he's like, we all knew this was a bad idea because it was after the Day of Atonement. And I'm like, like to get on a boat. And I'm like, why would it be a bad idea to get on a boat after the Day of Atonement? Like, is, are, are people doing something after the sacrifice where they just sink all the boats? I just didn't know. And, and apparently it's just a seasonal thing that it's that end of September into October where on the Mediterranean, it's just like the winds start blowing and storms are very regular. I mean, it's just happening all the time. It's like Florida, right? It's happening all the time. In the summertime, we get storms. We know kind of how it rolls. So very practical things in there. And the Apostle Paul is, he had just been before, and God told him this. You know, in Acts chapter 9, when he woke up, God, you know, blinded him on the road to Damascus and said, hey, you are not going to continue persecuting Christians. You are actually going to carry my name to the ends of the earth. 
You're going to suffer for my name, but you are going to be before kings. And this is where it happens a few chapters before this. He's before Festus. I love that name. I don't know why. It just makes me feel happy. And then Agrippa. He's before Agrippa, and he's, he's been arrested, you know, and it's happened multiple, multiple times. And then eventually they find out that they can't just ship him back to Jerusalem and kill him, which is what all the, the Jewish leaders wanted to do. The religious leaders and the governor in, in Jerusalem wanted to just take Paul out for good because he was causing so much trouble. This new religion had blown up. I mean, it is going everywhere, not just in Jerusalem, but as Jesus said, it's going to the ends of the earth. It started to seep into the Roman Empire, and you know, it's, it's a revolution, and the Romans are concerned about it too. But he's a, they find out he's a Roman citizen, and everybody's like, hold on. We have laws and rules. If this guy's a Roman citizen, he has the right to be tried in a Roman court. He can go before Caesar himself to plead his case. And Paul asks in two chapters before, like, I want to go before Caesar. So this is the whole process. He's got this centurion that's kind of attached to him, Julius, that's taken him to Rome. And so Julius, with the rest of his centurions and his guards, are traveling all through the Mediterranean, and they're right around Crete, if you know anything about that area, and they're headed to Rome. It's a long way from Crete to Rome, and they're going to try to stay along the shoreline, take a boat. Paul's like, it's after the Day of Atonement. We can sail a little ways, but we probably shouldn't go any further. And at one point, he says, stop this train. We do not need to go any further. We're all going to die. He's like, this is a bad idea. It's, it's super windy. And the, the, the guy, the commander of the ship, tells the centurion, Julius, he says, hey, you guys hop on the boat. We're stud sailors. We can sail this thing. We need to head out now. We got good winds behind us. Let's do this thing. Well, it ends up being a bad idea, and the storm begins to blow. Like, first of all, they don't, they don't, they don't see the sun for like three days, and then all of a sudden they're like, we need to unload some cargo. They're throwing food over. They're throwing water over trying to get out of this thing, and that's where we find ourselves in verse 21 in Acts 27. And it said, after they had gone a long time without food, because that's what happens when you throw it overboard. Uh, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. I mean, you love the after guy, you know, like, hey, guys, um, I told you so. Um, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But listen, listen to this. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. You see, he's already got a different perspective. He's in the middle of a storm. I mean, this is a bad one. This one's now been raging for 14 days. It says they, they hadn't seen the stars or the sun for 14 days. Can you imagine that kind of storm? And I looked it up. That can happen on the Mediterranean where it just rains every day and the storms swirl along the coastline between Crete and, and where you would go along the coast up to Rome. So they got this massive storm going for 14 days. They all are pretty much like, we're going to die. Um, but Paul says, take courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whom I belong, so he's saying, this is, this is my boy. I, I belong to this guy. And whom, I stir, and whom I serve stood beside me. I love that. Just Paul's like, I had an angel standing beside me. Girding me up, telling me these words. Do not be afraid. And I... I want to stop there just for a second. I mean, storms are bad. The things that you walk through in life are bad. But what is it that makes them bad? I always think about that. Is it, is it the pain itself when you're walking through like physical pain? Is it the cancer, the idea of it? You know, is it the loss of family? Is it 
you know, and, and when you're walking through like a relationship that's falling apart and something just completely dismantling, what is the, the root of the most painful part of walking through the storm? I don't know about you, and this is, I, I, I didn't do any research. I'm just kind of stopping right here just on my own because God's telling me to. It's fear, isn't it? It's the fear of the future. What does this mean for me? What is this cancer? What is this, this waiting on the diagnosis? What is this, our relationships in this place, and we're thinking about getting separated? What are we beginning to think about? The future. We're beginning to think about what's the end game? What's the, what's the sum of all this? What's going to happen to me? What are, what's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen in my life? So at the bottom, at the bottom, at the bottom of the storm, at least for me, this is it. And so he's telling them, do not be afraid. And that's hard for me to swallow sometimes because how do you not be afraid when you're facing something that might be death or might change your life forever in a bad way? But this angel tells him, look, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. That'd be nice. I want an angel to drop down in the middle of my storm. How about you? It'd be good. He says, so keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. <laughs> I love the practicality of all of this. Like this is, there's some, some weirdness to this story. And, you know, and the, the question, remember, I, I just wanted to sit in our minds. We're, we're, we're breaking down the idea, does the storm come from sin, the brokenness of the world, or is it God's sovereignty? Is he sovereign over the storm? What is, what is the answer? So something happens at this point. So people are listening to Paul, but there's a lot of them that aren't. The guys that are seasoned sailors have been on the Mediterranean. They're looking around. They see what's happening, and they're like, hey, we know the end of this story is we're all going to die. And they know that there's a few, uh, like, escape ships, like, you know, little boats that they can lower down. And they were lowering down these anchor lines to see what depth they were seeing. They see that they're around 90 feet. So they're like, land's got to be somewhere close around here. So they start hatching a plan like, at the right time, we'll just act like we're lowering the anchor line, but we'll actually lower the boat. So they start doing the deal and looking over their shoulder. And Paul catches wind of it and goes to the centurion, Julius, who had become kind of a friend of his, which is interesting in the story. If you read the book of Acts, him and Julius became tight. Like, he was chained to Julius, and it's like, they became friends. So cool. Anyway, maybe it's not, but it just was interesting. So they're lowering these, these boats, and Paul's like, hey, Julius... Um, I just want to say something. And so this is what he says. And this is where it baffles me, but begins to answer the question that we asked. Then Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, soldiers, unless these men, he's saying these, these guys that are about to, to jump off the ship and head off on these boats, he says, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let them drift away. I mean, that must have been a depressing scene. Like, they're about to do the thing. Like the Romans are like, shing, 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 shing. And they're like, what? You know, lifeboats are gone. But, but what question comes up right here? I mean, if you're me, if you read the scripture a couple times, immediately you're going to ask this question. Because Paul had just said, hey, don't worry. Take courage. An angel came down, stood right beside me and said, you're all good. Everybody's going to be saved. And then, what does he say after they're cutting the lifeboats away? He's like, dude, you better not let the lifeboats go. We're going to die. we got a little bit of a paradox, right? Is it 
God's going to save us? Or is it, we need these sailors to make it? I mean, that's what Paul was saying to the centurions. He's like, hey, these are the only dudes that know how to navigate this bad boy. We are all definitely going to die if they're, if they're gone. So which is it? How, how, does, that, how does this work? And I, I, maybe I was thinking about this just this morning. The guy writing this, first person, he's on the boat. He's a doctor. Like he knows that this is a paradox. Like he's, he's writing this purposefully for us because we have to sit in this and try to mull over these things. I like to think about it. What is it? Is it God's sovereignty in the storm? Or is it the brokenness? Is it, is it man's responsibility? Are we responsible? Or is it just, you know, let's go snorkeling because God's got this thing, you know? I mean, what, what are we going to do? How do, we, how do we navigate this? If God is totally in charge, then whatever. You know, we can just kind of act whatever or do whatever. Or we believe God has limits and the, 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 he's limited by our choices like we said last week. So which is it? And here's the problem. I was just talking to Seth about this this morning. We're, we're, we're zero-sum people. We're or people. It's either, it's either this or it's this, right? It can't be. It's like it's, it's, it's all or nothing. It's, like you, it's either God's sovereignty or it's man's responsibility. It's either God's sovereignty or it's just the brokenness of planet Earth. God didn't cause this. God wasn't a part of this. God didn't control this. We have these zero-sum things. And for some of us that have thought about God's sovereignty for a long time and, and had our brains scrambled a little bit, we put percentages on it. That's what I do. I'm like, maybe it's 25% me. And 75% God. You know what I'm saying? I'm a little bit responsible, you know. I better do the right thing. I mean, if I rob a store, I'm probably going to you know, get arrested. And was that God's sovereignty? No, it was my stupidity, right? It's some me and some God. Or 50-50, you know, the even people. Well, it's probably 50-50. You know, we go in 50-50. But what we know from Scripture is that God is not the, the one or the other. He's not, he's not pinned in with the limits of it has to be this or it has to be this. So it's the percentages run here. It's 100-100. We are 100% responsible. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have rebelled. All have the curse that's on planet earth that has caused the brokenness, that has caused the world to be groaning, as it says in Romans. It's literally the earth is physically making noises right now. It's groaning for redemption in Romans. And scientifically, we know that it is. It's actually groaning. So there's brokenness because of the curse. But is God sovereign over the brokenness? Is he sovereign over the storm? Yes. It's 100-100. It's How is that? I do not know the answer to that question. So is it sin or sovereignty? No, it is both. It is the brokenness of planet earth and it is God's plan. So did God is, is, is cancer a part of, like, did God, when he created you know, the earth was cancer in the mix and in his creative plan. It was not in his creative plan. And God's not, he didn't come and strike you with cancer. Is God sovereign over the cancer? Yes. Is he sovereign over that storm? Yes. Did God come and want you to get divorced and want to tear up your relationship and break it in half? Or is that because of sin, because of somebody's affair, because of somebody's horrible choices, because of somebody's porn addiction? Yes, it's because of that. It's because of rebellion. It's because of thinking something else will save you other than Jesus. And that's where the roots of sin come from. Man's responsibility. You are responsible for that. Is God sovereign? Is he ruling? Can he leverage that for his glory? Yes. 
100-100. Now for me, that's a settling thought. And it, it also is the reason that you see that the Apostle Paul is neither passive or panicked. You see that? He's making good decisions. My man's like, sailors, we need them. Hey, but also I know God has told me not, and it says in this scripture, not one hair will be damaged on the heads of these, these guys. So he's calm. He's like, God has got this. God is doing something in the, in the middle of this. But I know in God's sovereignty, I think I'm supposed to talk about these guys not getting out of here because we need sailors. He's practical. And I just love that because I think it gives us a picture of not answering the question, but knowing that we see it very clearly existing in a passage in Scripture, not as an illustration, but a, a something that actually, a storm that actually went down. It actually happened. So, earth's brokenness, God's plan, it's an and and not an or. Secondly, what is the purpose of storms? The purpose of storms and what you see in Scripture and we'll kind of go over this, is global good and individual faith. So if you're writing notes, what is the purpose of storms? There's a global good. There's an overall good. There's a, the idea that, hey, we are a part of an overarching story. We are not the story. Like our little story that we've got going on, what happens when you become a believer is that little story that's very insignificant. You get to be a small player in a much bigger story, the big story of God. And there's a global good that's going on. So many times we're walking through storms and in the middle of them, we have no idea what's happening. But God is doing so many things that surround that. And I've seen that time and time again. Best illustration you see in scripture of this is the story of Joseph. If you don't know who Joseph is, I mean, if you go down the, the, whole, the whole line, you go Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I mean, you've definitely heard that. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons was Joseph. Joseph was the favorite, which is not nice. He shouldn't have been, you know, the favorite. Got the coat of many colors. What does that do to the brothers? Makes them mad. And this begins a story of just the demise. Just absolutely, you talk about a storm. My man first was thrown in a pit. They were going to kill him. Then he is sold into slavery. Abandoned it by his brothers who should have loved him. Gets separated from his family. Ends up in another guy's house after he gets sold into slavery in Egypt. Potiphar's house. Gets accused of rape when he's just there to, to run the household. The wife tries to hit on him. He runs away. She grabs his cloak. I always imagine these scenes. I probably should. She grabs his cloak. He runs and then he has no clothes because she's got them in his hands. And then she says, he tried to rape me. Ends up in prison for years. But eventually he ends up in the palace and he rescues all of Egypt. Second in command of the most powerful nation in the world. Powerful nation in the world. Second in command to Pharaoh. And because, of, because he can interpret dreams, because he has visions... He knows that a famine's coming. He prepares all of Egypt for it. And every, and this made Egypt the richest country in the world too. Every country that was surrounding them came to them because everybody was starving for grain. All of them. And of course he reunites with his brothers and it's the saddest, most beautiful story. And in Genesis chapter 50, this is the statement that, that Joseph makes. And he's talking to his brothers who intended evil. They wanted to kill him first and then they sold him into slavery. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good and to save the lives of many. And it was hundreds of thousands of lives, including Joseph's own family. Now, in the middle of the storm, did Joseph ask questions and go, bro, what's up? Probably shouldn't call God, bro. But you know what I'm saying. He, he, we just don't know. 
in the middle of the storm, it's hard to know, but there's a global good that God is executing. He even preserved Hezron, little baby Hezron, his little nephew, who is in the direct line of Christ. It's an amazing story. You look at Matthew and you see the, the lineage of Christ and, and where, you know, where, he, all, where it all comes down. Little baby Hezron, his little nephew who would have starved because of Joseph and his horrible storm story from going from, from the pit to the palace. Um, the lineage of Christ is preserved. God's got a bigger plan, much bigger than ours. But it's not just global good. It's what was the second one? Individual faith. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul is known. I think a, a lot of times we, we look at the Apostle Paul and we're like, I'm not Paul. And it's true. We're not. I mean, he is an apostle. Just There's something special and amazing about how God used Paul, the era that he was able to live in, and the things that he did in terms of launching the church with Peter kind of being the home family guy, launching the churches at home, and Paul being the missionary that launched the, church, the churches across the Roman Empire in Asia. He was Teflon because, you know why? He didn't fear. Like fear had, had gotten rooted out of, now at one time he did. But it just got drawn out of the framework of who Paul was. And he was able to, to say things, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I mean, he was one of those guys, and it frustrated the people that wanted to arrest him, that wanted to shut him down, because they're like, this guy's not afraid of death. He has a new lens. He's the guy on the beach, knowing the storm's there, going, that's just a category one. He is that guy in Scripture. You couldn't touch him. You want to kill me? That's great. I get to see Jesus. Fantastic. You want to leave me here? I'll keep preaching his name until the day I die. Put me in jail. We'll sing songs. The freaking doors will fly open. I'll save all the guards. He, you couldn't touch him. You couldn't touch him. He was Teflon. But why? Why? Think about this storm. Why his reaction? Why is he the one that is, he's, he's not passive, but he is not panicked. He's the only one on the boat from what we know of. I mean, Luke's telling the story, you know, pretty calmly, but I bet his boys that were on the boat with him were, were panicked. Why do you think he wasn't panicked? Well, one, Spirit of God was with him, the angel visited him. But more important than that, this is his third storm. Third shipwreck. Number three. Number three. And there's a perspective. Listen, why, why do Floridians... Why do Floridians sit on the, the beach with a black cloud just sitting there and they see it coming and they're like, eh, it's fine, you know, grab another Corona, we'll be good. Why? We've been through this plenty every September. September is the peak of hurricane season. Actually, my birthday, September 10th, is the peak every year. I don't know what that says about me prophetically, but it's, you know, <laughs> some good things. I get to surf every year on my birthday, though, so it's awesome. But why is that? It's because we've been through it. We've seen the cone of uncertainty. We are the ones that aren't really glued to the news other than the fact that it tells us when we can have a hurricane party. I mean, that's just what we do. That's the Apostle Paul. He's been through. He's, oh, this is his third storm. What's God doing? What's God done with the Apostle Paul? How was he the Teflon missionary that could say to live as Christ and to die as gain? He's been through the storm. There's, there's things that you can... If you study hurricane hunters... And they fly, and these are the craziest guys ever. They take a C-130 and they fly into a storm. They fly into a storm. A hurricane. It doesn't matter how, what category. They are, they, they'll fly in. They know how to do it. They know how to navigate. They get into the eye of the storm. They do all this stuff. You know why? Because 
There's things that you can find out in the storm if you fly into the storm and go through the storm that you can't find out any other way. That's the only way you're going to know those things about the storm. It changes the perspective of everybody. It's to other people's benefit, too, that you went through the storm, that you flew through the storm, that you navigated the storm. I mean, who are the beneficiaries here? you got a whole lot of people that are benefiting from Paul having been, this is his third. There's things that you can't get there. God, God your individual faith gets built. This is, this is what we do as Christians. This is one of the most powerful things. You read all through Scripture. You read the book of James. This is the testing of your faith. This is the refining fire that we walk through. Knowing that Jesus is the eye of the storm, knowing that Jesus is the center of everything, knowing that we're not navigating alone, but knowing that we're going to find out things in the storm that are going to change us forever. I remember years ago I went to uh, one of my first surf trips, and I was the, the guy that could surf. I was the worst surfer on the trip. It wasn't a bad surfer. It's just I went with a bunch of guys that were just amazing. And they picked the season to go on a surf trip when the surf is like angry and massive. And I wasn't really aware. They were just like, dude, we're going in May. We're going to do this thing. Here's a ticket. We just got to you know, pick, book the ticket. We're going to the place. I'm like, I saw the place look beautiful, a little eternity pool. It's fantastic. I was almost embarrassed. It was so nice. Um, and we go there and it's like eight to 10 feet and double overhead, which for those that surf, that's big. That's just the measurement on the back of the wave. That means that, you know, the faces of the wave could be way higher than, you know, the top roof of this building. Like you're dropping in. And terrified. I didn't know that before I went. So I'm paddling out and I'm seeing this and I think I'm certainly going to die. Um, and everybody's looking at me going, hey, this is bigger than normal. And I'm like, and you're the guy that's a professional surfer and I'm me. Uh, this is fantastic. So I go there and it was incredible. Like it was the most terrifying thing, but also one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I was scared a lot. thought I was going to die a few times. Broke a board completely in half. I mean, like last wave, last day, snapped in half. Um, because I got pounded on the inside on a reef. It was crazy. And then I get home, and Jack Wire asked me this question. And I, I, I love it because it's, it, it makes me think. He said, like, will you ever be nervous to surf in Jacksonville again? Like, I used to be nervous paddling out of the poles during a storm swell. Like, I would be, like, completely, my guts, my, my, I get butterflies. Like, of, like am I going to make it out? Mainly because of embarrassment, because I'm like, I'm not going to make it out. All my friends are out there. Um, but... He asked me, are you ever going to worry about it again? I'm like, no. Why? I've been through it. I've been through a big one. I've been through some big surf. And it changed my perspective completely in, in the way that I looked at surf here. God shapes us. He does something incredible. That at the end of it, there's, a, there's an individual good and faith-building thing that happens. I love there was a post by uh, um, Sean Curran, you know, about weathering the storm and uh I, i've got the whole thing just just bear with me this is so good you're, you're going to want to absorb this one uh and you'll probably email me and go please send that to me um but he, he says this he says have you ever heard of the biosphere it's a research facility out in arizona in the arizona desert it was originally designed to study plant life inside of artificial ecosystems perfect conditions perfectly secure perfect climate controlled sounds great right Here's where things get interesting. At the start of the experiments, the trees planted in the biosphere, they grew much faster. They grew at a much faster rate than any of their siblings in the wild. 
But listen to this. But at a certain point, they literally just uprooted and fell over. Not just one or two, but every tree in the biosphere. You can go read about this. It's pretty interesting. And they would, re- they would reach a certain age, and it couldn't bear its own weight. In- individually, the scientists realized the cause of the problem. There was no wind. Translation, there was no tension. There was no resistance. No uncertainty. No inconsistency. No reason for the root system to learn their purpose to grow deep. Living in the storms of life is hard work. We hide from it. We ignore it. We despise it. Oftentimes, we act like it will be the death of us. But it might be the thing keeping us alive. Could it be that God is more concerned with our growing rightly than our growing quickly? Come on. If you're wondering what the purpose of storms are, God will build your individual faith into something that will be bedrock. Not not to make you arrogant, but to hold someone's hand and navigate them through their storm. To, To put you in a position where you're less likely to hit the eject button on your faith and believe that God is with me in this. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's brought me through. Hey, I've been through two of these bad boys. This is my third. He brought me this far. He's not leaving me now. Look at his faithfulness. Look at what he's done. And look at where I am. Different eyes. I want to be on the beach, in the chair, not ignoring the storm. But I want to look at that storm and go, I am not one bit worried about you. And I know you're ferocious. I know that you can take me out. I know that cancer can kill me. I know that divorce can make me crumble. I know that my life could totally change. But I'm not scared of you. I have no fear. I've walked through it. And I've walked through it hand in hand through the valley of the shadow of death with the creator of the universe. And that leads us to how do we grow deep? How do we, how do, we do this thing of growing deep? Through the wind and the waves and the storm. How do I weather the storm? The first one's easy. And we did it this morning as we sang. As we remember God's faithfulness. We look at his track record in scripture first. I mean, if we look at his faithfulness in scripture. You know, in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness. I guarantee you the Israelites would thought, God has left me. In fact, they said it many times. Let's go back to Egypt. But you look at the story and you see the story of redemption play out. We always want it instantly, like we said last week. We want, we want the instant good, and God's looking at eternal good. And we want to remember God's faithfulness. Paul's past track record, hey, this is not my first rodeo. I've seen how I got through the other storms. And I'm going to get through this one. And even if I don't, guess what? I get to be with Jesus. The other thing is remember you're not alone. I love the, the picture of the church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we, we, we just talked about community a lot. But, I mean, we have to remember we're not alone. I mean, when there's a hurricane, what do you do if you're a Floridian? Hurricane party. I mean, it's just what we do. And I just feel like that is the way you want to weather the storm. I've done that so much with friends of mine. Like, state, like we probably should have evacuated when everybody said we should. You know, and it, it's like it's usually a bunch of dudes 
And they're like, yeah, my wife went to, to mom's, but we're staying here. Guard the fort, you know what I mean? I got to do this. What do you want to do? Well, we're going to go over there. We're going to get brisket is what we're going to do. We're going to grill it. Any side dishes? Nope. Just brisket. And we're going to survive the storm, you know? And then it comes and all the lights go out. And we're like, this was a bad idea. Um, but the church, God has given us, and he's given us each other. I mean, look around the room. We, we sometimes regard this as a once-a-week thing. We just do. But it really can be, and I've experienced this over the last 10 years, especially at Ocean City Church, that these are the people that have walked with me through, through the storms of life. I, I couldn't have made it. I think about my own story of, of God's faithfulness. I've, I've, I've told you many times, you know, years ago, 15 years ago, I got an undiagnosed neurological disorder. Some doctors thought it was MS. We had, I had tons of tests. It was the most depressing awful time of my life, and navigating through that in those three years, God shaped me, and I found Jesus in the midst of that. I realized nobody else can save me. Nobody else can do anything for me, and Jesus was like, I'm here, and I found him at the bottom, at the bottom of the bottom of the most depressing time of my life. I found, you know what? Jesus is here, and he's never left me. He'll never leave me, never forsake me. I learned more scripture in my life. I was never in a better relationship, the most intimate time I've ever had with Jesus in my life has been in the middle of the storm where I was clinging with everything that I had. Nothing was helping me. No doctor. There was no conversation. There was no just, there was nothing that was, this, that was doing it. And I learned to, to cling to the word of God. I learned to cling to his faithfulness. And, I, and I, I was mad at him for half of it. For a year and a half, I was just ticked off. You know, I thought, oh, if God can heal, if God's sovereign, if he can do all these things, then why am I doing this? And I've you know, spent my life going to doctors and on Google. And I'm not telling you not to go on. You know, look at Paul. He's like, hey, we need to keep the sailors. So go to the doctor. But God's got you. And he had me. And, and the winds blew in that season and pushed me into ministry. Like it was one of those things, I don't know that I would have just all of a sudden, because I think all of a sudden money was no longer an issue. So bailing on a job and taking a, a, a job at a church making about five times less than I made previously normally would have been a difficult decision. But when you're in the middle of an undiagnosed neurological disorder and you're thinking, God, what am I, what am I doing right here? What, what is my life? How long is my life going to be, be in this space where I can serve you and carry your name? Well, you know what? I better go now. I better do it now. Sell the house. Let's move. Did it all right then. Because none of that mattered. God had his finger on all, all that stuff, and it all washed away. And then he says, and, and now you're going to operate with no fear about your health. And then you'll be ready to go. He shaped me. And I always say, I never want to go through that again. But I would never, ever trade it in because of the way that it shaped my life. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be looking at you if it hadn't been for that season. You know, it's just one of those things that, that, that happens in the story of God. And we look at the past track record of, of God's faithfulness, and we see that we're not alone. And for me, that was that season. I had people that were surrounding me. And then lastly, we need to remember that Jesus is the eye of the storm. And I love this. This is an, just really a beautiful illustration of the eye of the storm. I want to read you a little bit of science. In the eye of the storm, you didn't even know you were going to get some science. But the eye of the storm, and some of you know this because you are Floridians. Um, the eye is the region of mostly calm weather at the center of a tropical cyclone. The eye of the storm is roughly circular, is a roughly circular area, typically 19 to 40 miles in diameter. 
It's surrounded by the eye wall. It doesn't say here, but it could be a thousand feet high of thunderheads and clouds and lightning and storm and everything surrounding you. It's a ring of towering thunderstorms where the most severe weather and the highest winds occur. That's the ring around the eye. The cyclone's lowest barometric pressure occurs in the eye and can be as much as 15% lower than the pressure outside of the storm. So this has blew me away is that the, the pressure in the middle of the storm is lower. I mean, think about that illustratively. But why would the pressure in the center of the storm be lower, right? In strong tropical cyclones, the eye is characterized by what? By light winds, clear skies, surrounded on all sides by a towering symmetric eye wall of crazy lightning, storms, awfulness. But in the center, in the eye of the storm, that's the light wind, that's the clear skies. And I love that picture that we see Jesus as the eye of the storm. Because Jesus doesn't avoid storms. We see that in the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, he, he ends up going straight, throwing himself into the storm of life. He was above everything, rule of authority. He gave up his scepter. He gave up his throne. And he came to be nothing. He came to enter into the brokenness. Enter into the storms of life. Enter into the storm of death. He took our death, the storm of death, on himself. That we might have life. He is faithful and worthy to be that person that we find in the middle of the storm. That travels with us in the eye of the storm. And he's saying it's possible that you could be in the center of the storm. And that you could look up because I'm here with you. And you are going to see clear skies. You're going to know that you are surrounded. We sang it. Looks like you're surrounded by the enemy. It Looks like you're surrounded by bad. Looks like you're surrounded by by some things that can take you out. But I'm just telling you, you're surrounded by me. You're surrounded by me. I have you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I love God's voice that navigates us through the storm. In Psalm 27, I held on to this in the season of my life. It was so difficult, and I'm holding on to it now. You are my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Think he's the eye of the storm. Um, of who... Whom shall I be afraid? Though an army surround me, though the eye wall surrounds me, though the towering clouds surround me, though the cancer surrounds me, though the, the pain surrounds me, the uncertainty surrounds me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even the, then I will be confident. I love Psalm 116. It says, you, you alone are my portion of my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He's like, you are it for me. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. And what does he say? Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand. Even at night. Even in the middle of the storm, my eyes are always on him. There's a key. He is the eye of the storm. And I want to put my eyes on him. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. We sing. We worship. My body also will rest secure. Man, that's what I want in the storm. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. That's, that's what you hold on to in the storm, is his voice. 
And there's also your voice. Your voice. Come to God. I loved what, what Dave said and what, the, what happened at Oasis. It was this idea of the great exchange that if, if we're wanting to experience healing or stay in, with those your words, we want to stay in healing. We want to we remain in the healing of God. Then we need to accept the exchange. And it's an uneven exchange in that passage in Isaiah 61. The, the three things you see being exchanged are ashes. I'm coming with ashes. He's given me beauty. I'm coming with the morning and my storm, and he's bringing me joy. That's a pretty good exchange. I'm coming with despair, Dave, and he's bringing me a garment of praise. I love it. I love it. You know, it made me think, I don't know if any of you have seen Forrest Gump. I don't want to ruin it for you. I'll just ruin it for you. <laughs> but I, Lieutenant Dan, you know, you know the, do you remember the end of the movie, near the end of the movie? probably the middle of the movie because it's extraordinarily long um, but he's you know, he doesn't have any legs because they got blown off in Vietnam and he's really cynical he's really mad at God he says a lot of negative things about God and then they're trying to he's, he promises Forrest that he'll help him be a shrimp and boat captain for various reasons uh, for Bubba um, and he goes and then he ends up being his first mate and he's cynical about the whole thing and they're not catching any shrimp and, and he says where the hell is your God now and right then <laughs> right then, Forrest says, hey, right then, God showed up. And then there's this storm, right? You know? It's like it blows up, and Lieutenant Dan's on the tower thing, and he's just having a showdown with God. And I think some of us are scared to do that in the storm. And what a beautiful thing is it to, to have that exchange. And I'm not talking about being disrespectful. I'm talking about bringing the ashes and bringing them. What's going on? Asking the questions. Bringing the despair. Bringing the mourning and the heartache and the pain. You got to bring that to him. And the beautiful end of that story, I, I love it because he's almost begging God to say, if this is it, just take me out. Just take me out. And then what happens? God extends mercy. And they're the only shrimp and boat left. And what happens? They, they just that's it they, they run the shrimping industry you know they run bubblegum shrimp that's a household name <laughs> God wants to change everything for you in the middle of your storm He's, he so wants you to remember the end of the story you know just as we get ready to respond I, I couldn't help but think of this in the because my kids are re-watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I guess a lot of movie things are on my mind. But, you know, at, at the end of the Lord of the Rings, you know, when Gandalf comes back, there's this, you know, after the climax of the trilogy, Sam Ganji discovers his friend Gandalf was not dead. Hope I'm not ruining this one for anybody. But I'm sorry if you have been living on Mars. Um, he says, I, you know, when he finds out Gandalf's not dead, he, he's alive, he cries, he's, he cries out he says I thought you were dead but then I thought I was dead myself and he looks at him he says does this mean everything sad is going to come untrue you were dead and now you're alive does this mean everything sad is going to come untrue 
answer to that question. And I love it because it, it sits in the center of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is there something I can anchor my life to in the storm? I can anchor it to the cross of Jesus Christ, but not only the cross, the empty grave. Because everything sad is going to come untrue. Listen to this in Revelation, and I'll end here. The author, John, says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. If you want to know the end of the story, because I want to know the end of the story when I'm in the storm. He says, He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And what will He do? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. And he, Jesus, who was seated on the throne, said, I am making all things new. He said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. I'd write those words down if I were you. I want to be confident in the storm. The brokenness of this world is not going to overcome the sovereignty of God in your storm. And He certainly has a purpose in the storm. He's certainly doing something extraordinary in the storm. But that doesn't make it easy. But man, when we know the end of the story, it changes the lens and the perspective for you and me. And you know what it does for you and me and for the world around us? It shines a huge beam of light on Jesus where people see something and they're like I need that and I want that your faith is not about getting in the right place and how do I serve in the right place and I mean it's part of that but it's like what Beth said somebody that's healed coming out of the storm that is the banner and the ambassador to the world around you how we navigate the storm brings eyes towards you and then you can reflect it towards Jesus it's pretty incredible I don't know where you are let's stand I don't know where, where, where everybody is but like I said I know there's a lot of people navigating difficult times difficult seasons and I just want to say church is not I, I come in here I have to remind myself not something I'm getting through to get to my day off on Monday it does it is it is my job but I, I, I moved out of one career to move into this because I'm like I want this is where God has me preaching the gospel proclaiming things I believe with everything that I have and my hope is not that we learn a little my hope is that we are all me included because I need need this as much as you do we are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that we are healed that we are changed that we operate with new eyes every day every hour every minute because that's that's how I need him need him to change the lens all all through life so as we sing God wants to do something we're gonna have a, a chance to respond and I would say don't don't blaze out I know that's our tendency to want to do just just let God speak for a few moments over you because he wants to speak to you especially if you're walking through it he wants to say something to you he's got a word for you it will encourage you. It will hold you up. It will change you for the rest of your life. God, we love you. We love who you are. Just come, Holy Spirit. 
is coming. Move in this place. Show yourself to us. Give us assurance in a way that we can't do for ourselves.